Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you were here last week, you know that we began a new teaching series that we've simply entitled The Church, and we're planning for it to be a four-part series. And last week, I began by asking the question, who is the church? I don't know if you realize I didn't ask what is the church. I asked a broad question. It's a question that describes what is known as the universal church or the global church, which is made up, the universal church is made up of every single person who has ever walked on the face of the earth who has turned from sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is what is known as the universal or global church. And last week we spent some time in Ephesians 2, um, where in chapter 2, Paul talks about before we came to Christ, we were what he calls dead in our transgressions and, and sins. I said it's like being walking zombies. But that's what we were like before we came to Jesus. We were going on a path following the evil one. This is what Paul says. We were going to a path of destruction. But two words. What were the two words? But God, right? But God, because he loved us, he intervened, and he showed us how much he loves us by sending his son. And those of us who believed in him, who have put our faith in him, who turned from a sinful, sinful lifestyle and a pattern of the world and turned to him, he adopted us into his family. And now he's making us into masterpieces, right? We are his workmanship for good works. And then he puts us together in what we would call local churches. And that's what I want to look at, answer this question this morning. As we are narrowing the scope for the next for this morning and for the next two weeks, and I want to begin by asking a question: What makes a local church a local church? What makes a local church a local church? It's it's simple in some ways. There's three basic components, and I'm going to run over these real quick. N- number one, the local church is a body of covenant. Believers, those who have covenanted covenanted together, those who have put their faith in Jesus, who believe in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Those who have fully put their faith in Jesus and have come together and covenanted together uh, are what would be called a body of covenant believers. Terry is going to talk more about that next week, so I'm not going to go too far into that. Uh, Secondly, they need to gather regularly. That body needs to gather regularly, and within that meeting, that gathering, there should be some three components. There should be prayer, praise, and the worship of Jesus. We're gathering to worship Jesus, not one another, not talk about how awesome we are and what we've done, but we, we gather together to praise Jesus Secondly, we gather together to practice what we call the ordinances. Uh, These ordinances are baptisms and the Lord's Supper. We do the Lord's Supper every week here. The Scripture does not teach you have to do it weekly, but we like to do it regularly to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, it needs to be, when we gather, we need to gather around instruction from the Word of God. 
Okay, so these are the three points that are underneath number two. So we need to gather for prayer, praise, and the worship of Jesus, practice the ordinances, and then instruction from the Word of God. If we do not preach the Word of God, we are not doing what the Word of God teaches us to do when we gather together. So the Word of God is extremely important when we gather. And the third thing is, is that we, we are under the guidance of biblically qualified, biblically you need to try to say that, biblically, <laughs> especially in front of people. It's, it's very difficult. Biblically. Turn to your neighbor and say biblically. <laughs> Andre, you didn't? Okay, so. Some, some people's tongues are too fat. Yeah, some pe- <laughs> people's tongues are too fat. <laughs> I got a fat tongue, so. But when we use the word elders, um, this, the New Testament also uses the word pastor, overseer, or bishop. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about pastors. Now, there was a time when I was more immature than I am now in my thinking, and uh, I would not have seen the need for pastors being that important. And this is because um, I was greatly impacted by what is called a parachurch ministry when I was in college. Now, if you don't know what a parachurch ministry is, para is the Greek word for come alongside. So a parachurch ministry is a ministry that is supposed to come alongside of the church and help perform a ministry that the church is unable to do. Um, and this was a, uh, what, what I experienced in college. It's, it's meant to assist the church, not replace it. But during my days in college... I was a member at a covenant, I was a covenant member at a local church, but I was more involved with my parachurch ministry than I was with the local church. And I would actually have considered that parachurch ministry to be my church. But the only problem with that is, is that it it only had two of the the three components that I just shared. We did gather uh, regularly as a body. That was something we did. We gathered uh, and were passionate about knowing Jesus. We also were very evangelistic. We would share the gospel. Uh, and we'd also, uh, in our gatherings, have a time in the Word of God. We also shared communion with one another from time to time. And, you know, if someone had come to Jesus during uh, one of our meetings or in one of our apartments when we were hanging out, I guarantee you we would have filled that bathtub up and dunked that guy or girl. We would have had baptism. So we would have had those two components. But the one component that was missing is that we were not under the leadership and guidance of qualified biblical elders or pastors. And so this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and discuss what is a pastor. Okay, And I want to answer four questions that are, that are under what is a pastor? And these are, I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. Number one, do churches really need pastoral leadership? Number two, is pastoral leadership biblical? Number three, what are the biblical qualifications of a pastor? And number four, what is the responsibility of the local church? Before we get into that, I want to pray and just ask the Lord that he would Help me to speak the truth and that he would open our hearts. So let's pray together one more time. Father, I'm aware that more and more that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you intervening in our lives, 
we can do nothing. But the gospel teaches us that you want us to be fruitful. And so you intervened in our lives and, and you called us to yourself and made us your children, your sons and daughters, and you put your Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, I'm asking that this morning that you would awaken us once again by your Holy Spirit, that the truths that I'm going to be sharing, Lord, make them clear, um, make them accurate, uh, help us to hear your word, and not just be hearers, but be doers of your word, for our benefit and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first question I want us to, to ask is, do churches, do churches need pastoral leadership. Now, I want you to think with me about, about this for just a second. When it comes to the topic of leadership, how important is leadership? Well, in the world that we live, there have been countless books written on effective and dynamic leadership. Companies and organizations who wish to succeed understand that if they are going to succeed, they have got to have good leadership. I've noticed that whether it's a restaurant or a marching band or a citywide event, one of the major factors that determines whether or not these groups are going to be successful organizations is directly tied to leadership. I don't think there's anyone in the room that would, would question that. And so when leadership is strong and when it's healthy, and when leadership cares for its members, then goals are reached and lives are positively affected. And on the contrary, when leadership is absent or weak and lacking, families crumble, orchestras get off beat, and businesses fail. Now, I'm going to tell a sad story. This is a, uh, if you've got your tissue paper, you might want to get it out right now. Um, one of my favorite restaurants of all time. Uh, I used to even preach about it. Uh, a while back, got bought by another, by another company. Now, they kept their name, they, and I'm not going to give that name, but they, they kept their name. And I was like, cool, do not speak out loud on what it is, okay? <laughs> but I noticed that after leadership changed, the quality of service, in my opinion, dropped. Now, I did not immediately, you know, shut the door on this, this uh, restaurant. I actually went to the management, and in love and in private, I was trying to help them see some areas that had kind of gotten slack because I wanted to help them to return to their glory days, okay? <laughs> Uh, and you know what? Honestly, as a business owner, uh, if you are going to a business as a believer, I'm talking to the church now. If you go to a place and, and they, they have bad service, you know, you can go to the, them in love and just share in love. Hey, if, I, if this guy was working for, for me, I would want to know about what they're doing or not doing right. So you can love as Christians help an organization. And I will do that from time to time. And I was definitely doing that for this uh, company for my own good, but I knew it would help them also. But, you know, after a season, uh, I realized that I kept going and, and the service never changed. And sadly, here's the sad part of the story. I haven't been there in, in several months, and I no longer recommend that 
that organization. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it's directly related, though, to the leadership of that particular business. And so I, I, I know that we would all agree that leadership is important in worldly institutions like schools and government and even in our little league teams. But when it comes to the church, it amazes me the view I used to have and the view that is still present and how different opinions there are out there, especially among professing believers. On one end of the spectrum, there are those who would quote 1 John 2.27 and say that pastoral leadership is not necessary because all believers have an anointing from God and therefore have no need for anyone to teach or lead them. Sheep who have this mindset have the tendency to separate themselves from the local flock and take themselves out from being under pastoral care and authority. That's one, that's one extreme. Now, on the other extreme, there are those who practice what I would call pastor worship. Um, they would advocate for pastoral leadership, but they would also elevate the pastors to a level that they should not be elevated to and making themselves dependent upon that pastor. If that pastor goes, so do they. They hang more on that pastor's words than they do on the words of Jesus. And I want you to know that both of these extremes, I believe, are dangerous, unbiblical, and unbalanced. A pastor from India once told Francis Chan that as he was researching movements of God, and he noticed a common thread through movements of God. This is what he said. Movements of God always start with a leader who knows God deeply. And this is the one that, that really gets me. And they always end when the followers know only the leader deeply. So if a leader is not leading in the church, is not leading you to know and love Jesus more, then there, you may be stopping too soon, okay? So that's something that we want to be aware of. And so do, ch do churches need pastoral leadership? I would say that uh, just from a pragmatic viewpoint, yes, they do. Godly leadership within the church is essential if that church hopes to prosper. But the, question, the next question is, is it biblical? Just because we can see that it would be beneficial, is it something that is biblical? So that's the, the, the second question that I, I want us to look at this morning. Is pastoral leadership biblical? In other words, is it God's idea or man's idea? What does, what does the Word of God teach? Okay, Because ultimately, that's what matters here. And in Ephesians 4, the same book that we were in last week, the Apostle Paul reveals that the heart of God is that his church, this is the heart of God for his church, that his sons and daughters would be equipped for ministry. And that we would be not only equipped, but that we would be built up together and unified in Jesus, and that we would reach maturity. So when we first come to Christ, we're known as babes, right? He doesn't want us to stay as babies. He wants us to grow to maturity. He talks about, I don't want you to be like uh, someone that's tossed back and forth in the waves or blown by the wind by other teachings and false doctrines. He wants us to grow up into maturity. 
And one of the ways that Jesus accomplishes this in Ephesians 4, chapter 11, is by giving the church pastor teachers who will be able to equip the saints for ministry and to bring them to maturity in Christ. Two things, bring maturity in Christ and to equip the saints. And in Acts 14, 20 through 23, it says, When they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 23. And when they had appointed elders or pastors for them in what? Every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That was one of Paul's missions, was to appoint elders in every church. He wrote a letter to a guy named Titus, and in verse 5 he said this, I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Paul, God wants order in his church. Now what was Titus to put in order there? And appoint what? Elders, elders, that means pastors, overseers, bishops. In every town, in every town, see that? As I directed you. And then he goes on to describe the biblical qualifications of an elder. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but before we do, I want to point out that the office of pastor elder is spoken of all throughout the New Testament letters making it clear that it is God's desire, God's desire, that his churches back then, that they all had pastors leading the congregation. And we believe that that is still his desire today and will be until Jesus comes back for his church. Which brings us to the third question. What are the biblical qualifications of a pastor? And I'm going to be honest with you, this is kind of awkward because um, I'm a pastor, and um, I could, uh, after we go through these qualifications, I might not have a job. So I, I just want you to know that, uh, but that it's, that it's awkward. But the, the truth is, um, whether it's me or Terry or any other future pastors, we must submit ourselves to the Word of God. We're not above the Word of God. That's why it's important, listen to me, church, that's why it's important that we be a body that knows the Word of God. Um, my goal should be to teach you to be able to feed yourself, right? As an infant, you have to feed an infant, but as they get older, they can feed themselves, that we would multiply, that healthy sheep would multiply. So if, if uh, I or anyone else does not meet the qual- qualifications, we are not above the Word of God. So with that in mind, the first requirement that I want to look at is that a pastor must be under the authority of God. Listen, that is the first requirement that if you're looking at a church, you need to, you need to ask the question, is this man under the authority of God? Let's look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Right there is the the local church. See that? Shepherd the the flock of God that is among you. He's talking to, to, to fellow pastors. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because uh, you, you've been made to do it, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus is, right? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So when in evaluating a pastor, the first and foremost qualification we need to be assessing is, is this man under the authority of God? More important than him being charismatic, more important than him being a good teacher, we need to know that he fears God. It, it is imperative that a pastor value the authority of God and his word. He needs, and, and he needs to understand that the flock that he is shepherding is not his flock. That is something that must be understood by the pastor. He is a under-shepherd, as we just read, under the chief shepherd, Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd of his flock, and pastors are simply brothers among brothers and sisters who have been what the Word of God would say, set apart for a particular ministry within the body, and that's to be pastors. Elders, overseers, pastors, we will give an account to God for how we have handled the sheep that are in our midst. And, and so as a pastor, this is very sobering. This is something that, that I take very seriously, and I need to take very seriously for the people that have been entrusted to Reach Life Church. And so, and therefore, the fear of the Lord, a pastor must be first and foremost submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm going to make it a little bit more simple. In other words, it must be evident, listen, as you're evaluating a pastor, it must be evident that the gospel he is preaching has deeply affected him. It must be evident that the gospel he is preaching has deeply affected him. Now, how do we know if that is, has happened? Is it just because he says it has? No, he must pass tests that are found in the Scripture. And there are three primary passages that describe the qualifications of a pastor. And uh, they are Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and then the passage we just read, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles, I meant to say this at the beginning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be uh, zeroing in on 1 Timothy 3. You might want to turn there. We're going we're to be looking at 1 Timothy 3. And it's important, as you're turning there, it's, listen, it's important for you to understand that these qualifications are not meant solely for pastors. I didn't get an amen on that one. We want our pastors to to meet these qualifications, right? But this list that we're going to go over is not meant solely for pastors. It's meant for the entire congregation. We are all to be growing in this. Um, 
But these, um, these qualifications must be clearly evident in a man's life if he is going to occupy the office of pastor. Okay, so the first qualification we've already gone over is being under the authority of God. And I'm going to begin reading 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as we go through the list, I'm just going to stop and make a few comments on, on it. This, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The second requirement that I would say that Scripture teaches is that a pastor should desire to be a pastor. He shouldn't be there because it's what granddaddy did, and so he's next in line to do so. A pastor should be, have the sense that God has put in his heart, I am to pastor, okay? That's not enough, because there's a lot of people that want to pastor who have the desire, but they're just not, they don't meet the qualifications, but that is one of them, that they desire to pastor. Verse 2 says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He must be above reproach. Now, Paul is not saying that an overseer or a pastor must be perfect. If you know the scriptures, you know that in Romans chapter 7 and also in Philippians 3 that Paul says, you know, I have not yet arrived. I still struggle with sin. So to be above reproach does not mean that someone will be perfect and sinless. But, the, but what it does mean is that when you examine the individual's life, there is an overarching theme that is a fruitful life that displays the life of, of the gospel. So God raises up pastors to be examples to the flock of what it looks like to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of that is when a pastor sins. What does it look like when, when someone sins, it's to confess it, right? It's to own it. So even in our failure, there is the, the example of what it means to follow Jesus, right? Number four, he must be the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. His marriage is to be an example to the flock and a picture of the gospel, his marriage is to be a picture of the gospel, how Jesus laid down his life for his bride that she might flourish and prosper. Number five, he's to be sober-minded. That sober-minded means to be free from intoxicating influences. Um, it means that he's not controlled by not only alcohol and drugs, but also by his emotions and his feelings and his circumstances. He is a, a person that walks stably before us, that is full of the Holy Spirit. And someone that's full of the Holy Spirit walks soberly, which is connected to number six, being self-controlled. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit is self-controlled. That means control over um, what they eat, their time, how they talk, uh, relationships, sex, and money. All areas of life have been affected by the gospel, and by the Holy Spirit. Number seven, he is to be respectable. In other words, the way he lives his life is honest and upright. Number eight, hospitable. Hospitable. It is not the um, duty of a pastor to go into his room 
and shut the door for six days out of the week and to just read holy books and then come out once a week and deliver a message. I know that many of you think that's what I do, okay? <laughs> but that is not a qualification of a pastor. A pastor is to uh, be hospitable. That means to open his home, to open his life, and invite sheep to come in and to enjoy the, the fellowship in Christ. That's what it means to be hospitable. The pastor is to be not above, uh, but amongst the sheep. Number nine, he must be able to teach. Now, of all the qualifications given to be a pastor, this is the only one that deals with gifting. The rest of the, the qualifications that we're going over, they are about character. So teaching is a gift. And a pastor needs to have this gift because there are three uh, primary duties that a pastor has. Number one, he is to feed the flock. That's his duty, to feed the flock with the Word of God, to guard the flock with the Word of God, and to point the sheep to Jesus through the Word of God. So the pastor has to be able to handle the Word of God rightly as it was handed down originally, and to be able to bring it back to life and feed it to the sheep. That, so a pastor must have that gift to communicate clearly, accurately, and simply so that the congregation can understand it and not just understand it, but apply it to everyday life. But we also have to be careful here because sometimes this is the one qualification that we look for in a pastor. How good of a communicator are they? And then we skip all the character qualifications. So we've got to be careful. This is not, this, um, this gifting, this one characteristic does not qualify a pastor alone. But it must be present in order for a pastor to be qualified. A pastor must be skilled at teaching the Word of God. Number 10, he must not be a drunkard. That means that he is not given too much drink, that he is not, uh, does not get drunk on alcohol or any other type of substances or controlled by anything other than, than God. Number 11, not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. He does not lead with violence. He leads with gentleness. Number 12, he's not quarrelsome. He doesn't enjoy getting into arguments and wrestling with people. Number 13, he's not a lover of money. He's content with what God has given him, and he's not looking at the flock to see how he can shear them and get some of their wool and make money off the flock. Number 14, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You know, a, a, a pastor's family is one of the best indicators of whether or not he is qualified to shepherd the congregation of God. Um, if, if he can't dunk on an eight-foot goal, he shouldn't be trying to dunk on a ten-foot, right? He has to have the skill of shepherding his own home. And, uh, and you know, congregation, uh, if, you, if you have a family, you are called to pastor to shepherd your own home too. So I just want to encourage you in that also, that, that 
You, if you have children, you have been given that uh, gift by God, and he will fill you with his spirit and, and teach you how to shepherd your own families. Number 15, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So if, if someone is a new believer, they're typically spiritually immature, and the office of pastor can, uh, can pr- produce pride. And wherever there is pride, all types of sin will abound. Number 16, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. In other words, those outside the church, so that, they, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, this does not mean, again, that the pastor must be perfect and that everyone has to love the pastor who's outside the church. Um, If that's true, then we need to look at Jesus and Paul and all the apostles. They were hated by the world, and every single one of them was put to death by uh, this world because of of what they stood for. But it does simply mean that outsiders will not have real accusations against them from, um, that would disqualify them as a pastor. So in a nutshell, a pastor is to be an example to the flock and equip the saints for ministry while bringing the congregation to a deeper maturity in Christ. Which brings us to our final question, number four. What is the responsibility of the local church? What is your responsibility in all of this? Here's what I would say, um, number one, is that you would pray for your pastors. Um, As I started earlier and said, there is nothing we can do apart from God. Um, We need the Lord to give us the, the grace and his spirit to lead. We're fallible men, just like you all are. And so we, that would be the, one of the first places I would ask. Pray for us. Pray that God would give us wisdom. Pray that he would give us unity and that he would give us vision for this local body. Secondly, let's look at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I can just feel it. Okay, okay. You did this whole thing to get to the obey part, right? And I understand what you're saying, because uh, if we misunderstand this, it can, it can sound like just do what I tell you to do. And that's not what this is, God is, is saying. It, it, he is saying be in agreement with, have confidence in, trust in and yield to. But it does not mean that you turn off your brains, close your Bibles, and drink the Kool-Aid, and let us tell you what God wants you to do. That's the furthest thing from the truth, because we want to be a people of the Word, like the Berean church in the book of Acts that examined the Scriptures to see if what Paul was preaching was true. You should be examining the Scriptures. Even what I'm saying right now you need to examine, is what he's saying true? Um, Because ultimately, we are under the authority of God. It's kind of like if you've had little children, and you can never go out to eat. You know what I'm talking about? Or you got to pay. 
to have a, a babysitter, right? And Jen's like, yeah, I hear you. But the, one of the most glorious days, if you've got multiple children, is when that oldest one can be your babysitter. <laughs> can I get an amen? Amen. I'm telling you, it's like a pay raise, right? But you parents, make sure you're training that child, right? But what I've, what I can remember when, when we reached that stage, I, I told my oldest one, all right, I want you to watch after these, your younger ones. And I told the younger ones, obey your brother. Now, big brother, where is big brother? Oh, there he is in the very back. <laughs> He's like my authority here, okay? And then I would talk to Big Brother. What, what did I tell Big Brother? Don't do anything I wouldn't, right? Don't tell them to do anything I wouldn't tell them to do. You know me. And if you do what's right, I'm going to reward you when, you, when I get home. That's a, that's, that's a similar picture. Because listen, in Matthew 28, 19, this is a very well-known verse by the church. It's, Jesus says, go and make what? disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says, and teaching them to obey everything, what? That I have commanded. So if the pastors are doing what they're supposed to be doing, we're not teaching you, he's not teaching you to obey us, but to obey him through us. We are to be teaching you what Jesus has been teaching to obey. You see the difference in that? So there should be in each of us a, yes, I want to obey what they're teaching, but not in a kind of like we're above you, but we're amongst you, reminding you of the things of Christ. So that's what a pastor, that's one of the big things about a pastor is that they are to encourage and to stir up the congregation to remember who our God is, how much he loves us, what he did for us, how he, he didn't just leave us to, to go to destruction, but he sent his son, his, his only son, his most precious gift. He sent him to us. Not to, to rule over us, but to serve us. Those of us who have rebelled against him. And he said, I'll, I'll take you back if you'll come to me. And those of us who have responded, we've experienced his forgiveness, his love, his acceptance. We've been made right with God. And now we've been made right with one another through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his work. And that's what I am to be preaching week after week, day after day, encouraging one another, and that that would be going on in our midst amongst you, amongst one another. I'm not called to do everything, and I don't think most of you want that. We've got a great core group of people here at Reach Life Church, and the gospel is alive in our church. And so... My goal as a pastor is to continue to stir up that gift, the truths in our body, so that we might be a fruitful people. And, and again, I want to ask that you guys would, would continue to pray for us, that God would give us the grace as pastors to grow in being examples to the flock, and that we would be faithful and unashamed to proclaim the Word of God, and that we would be a people who walk in faithful obedience to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.